Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're in James chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. We'll be reading verses 7 through 11. We're almost done with James. We have like maybe a few more, two or three more messages, and then we'll start a new, a new book of the Bible. So, verse 7 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. And the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, see, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, today as we begin, Lord, talking about suffering and patience, Lord, and um, just this is a, a topic that some of us have gone through, some of us are going through, some of us will go through, Lord. Um, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, Lord, that we would um, draw from your word, Lord, encouragement, Lord, knowing that you are with us, Lord, through the tough times, the trials, the tribulations, Lord, and that your grace sustains us, Lord. So I just want to pray, Lord, that you've gotten me from error, you would give me the ability to speak your word this morning, Lord, that your people would be blessed and that we would come out, Lord, encouraged, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So last week, I started off the sermon with the question, what do you have that was not given to you? And I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a review of last week's sermon because I ended up a little short. But the answer is nothing. Everything we have is by His grace and for His glory. I want to finish where I left off the message in regards to money. I felt a little bit ill and I ended the message a bit short, just leaving out the conclusion last week. But Mary, Jesus, and Judas, we go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 6 through 12, and then in John chapter 12, verse 4 through 6, I'm going to read um, through those passages, and we touched on it a little bit on Tuesday in our community group, but um, some of us weren't here on Tuesday, so it's good for us to just kind of, um, it is, this will push us into the message of suffering and patience. So Matthew 26, verse 6, 6 through 12 says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him, with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as, as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of, and given to the poor. And then in John chapter 12, verse 4 and 6, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And then we go back to Matthew chapter 26, verse 10. But Jesus was aware of this and said to him, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always will have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for my burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
Mary takes a profound, a, takes a pound of excessive, of expensive ointment. Consider that at this time Mary reacts with sacrificial love. Jesus reacts with pure delight, and Judas acts with disgust. And in the next story, if we go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 14 and 16, Jesus was still betrayed. Then, then one of those twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they prayed him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. So, we're either Mary or Judas, living sacrificial or self-centered lives. That is James' point. It was for, for the love of for love of money that Jesus was betrayed. And it's still often out of love of money that we betray Jesus ourselves. Do you love Jesus like Mary? Will you love Jesus like that? Truly, practically, radically, gener generously, sacrificially? Those who believe the gospel confess the gospel. Those who confess that Jesus has redeemed us from slavery to sin. That Jesus has, has gave all that there is to own. And humbled himself and given himself to us that he might be glorified by our salvation, our willingness to dedicate our wealth to God is a confession of the gospel. Giving so God will love us or even prosper us is not believing the gospel. So I'm not saying that, and that there's a lot of people on TV who will tell you that, but that is not the gospel. But not giving to God for fear we won't prosper out of guilt or out of duty is also not believing the gospel. Those who believe the gospel let go of their stuff, deny themselves, and they give and love in line of how much they know they have been given and how much they have been loved. Amen. Amen. So that's what I was going to end with last week. So how does this connect with suffering and patience? We're called to stir one another. Uh, James brought some hard words. He warned the rich about the coming judgment of God who had heard the cries of those who they hurt and ignored in their greed. And we ended that sermon with the comparison to Judas, the man who betrayed the eternal Son of God for a few months' wages and change. And I know many of us will be, you know, we have, we hear, if we hear that message like that, we're leaving, we're leaving challenged, maybe even a little disturbed. And we consider whether or not we are the ones who are rich that James spoke of. And as God reveals how short we fall in various areas of our lives, our tongue, our judgments, our anger, our wealth, we must never forget that Jesus died, and that there is no condemnation for those who believe he died for their sin. Amen? Amen. Amen? I want, I need the hard words of the wrath from the Father. We need that sometimes, right? But I also desperately need the words of praise from the Father. And those words often come from the children to the children, from a brother to a brother, a sister to a sister. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. How Hebrews encourages Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let me know, amen, when you're there. It says, And let us consider how to stir one up another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, there, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we're called to encourage one another. James has spent the middle chapters of this book describing the negative aspects of behavior. What we must not do. And now he returns to encourage his brothers about what to do about difficult circumstances about their, out of their control. Instead of addressing those who are not being loving, he turns to those not being loved 
from those causing trials to those experiencing them. In doing this, he echoes the words that began his letter. And just like the beginning of the book where he said, take joy in the beginning of, that's the first message that we heard right here through James. Take joy in those trials. We're tempted to misunderstand, to abuse, or even dismiss his charge to be patient in trials. It's hard to be patient in trials. In trial, in times of suffering, in situations when things are not going the way you want them to be, be patient is difficult to hear. It feels flippant. I've been patient. You say, I've been patient. I've waited a long time and nothing has changed. I know that some of us here, perhaps many of us, are suffering today. Have you guys gone through suffering lately? I have. Some have been in a trial for days and weeks and others for years. You may have come here with burdens, with struggles, with pains, and with frustrations. And many of you feel like you have exasperated every ounce of patience you have. Only to feel like God isn't listening. He has forgotten or doesn't care. And you don't know if you can make it. I think God wants to do more than have us make it. Making it seems to carry the idea of arriving somewhere, hopefully in a different place where, where you're at. This view of being patient means you're, you're ignoring the moment as you wait on the Lord for what you want or think needs to change. And as you wait, you do nothing but grin and you bear it. As James does more than just tell us to sit, wait, and do nothing, we have a part to play. So if we go back to James chapter 5, verse 7, and we read verse 7, it says, be patient. You guys can underline, highlight that. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits. It talks about a farmer. For the, for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So a world of impatience. We live in an impatient world. The culture is convinced that they can speed everything up. We live in a fast-paced, click-the-button, microwavable, get-ordained-on-the-internet, instant messenger society of impatience. We have instant oatmeal, instant credit, instant messaging, instant coffee, instant news updates, instant communication, instant relationships. I don't know what that means, but we have a lot of instant stuff, right? We are not asked to wait for much, or when we are, it is torture. Raise your hand if you struggle being patient. I struggle being patient sometimes. Amen. As a result, we look for instant solutions for our problems and ignore anything that isn't a quick fix because it will take too much time. And when we encounter trials, instead of enduring through the trial of the world in the form of friends, bosses, books, TV, they tell us, give up. Give up on the marriage, find a new job, Abandon the family, take the easiest way, even if it's unethical, to escape from the pain that you don't deserve. You deserve no, you have the right to happiness and comfort all the time. You've earned it. Have we not heard that from the world all the time? Talks about happiness and finding your own best life today, right? So farming, when, when James uses the image of a farmer in describing how we are to be patient, for harvest, it is hard for us to relate. Anyone here has done farming before? Even in your backyard or fruits or... Yeah? 
Is it easy? Is it a lot of work? It takes a long time to work. It's pretty complicated. <laughs> right. Farming is an all-day, caloused, hand-dirty, back-breaking job of jobs. Today, many of us are in cubicles, sitting like, you know, in the front of the computer, working on our typing, and even, even having small callus or index finger from clicking the mouse, or even, you know, um, we're just on the phone, you know, all day. You know, we might develop something with our Bluetooth. But farming is not only tough, it is largely dependent on God in a very real way, in very real ways. Dare I say, it's easier to connect spiritually with God than it is in most other professions. Why? Because a farmer works, and what? And he waits. It takes time, right? It takes time to, 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 for the plants to come forth, and the, the, the fruits and the vegetables. The Jewish farmer would plow and sow in what to us are the autumn months. The early rain would soften the soil. The, la- the latter rain would come in the early spring, February through March, and help to mature the harvest. The farmer had to wait for many weeks for his seed to produce fruit. And as the, far- as the farmer patiently waits the rains to turn his muddy field of nothing into a fruitful harvest, or not, because he could not, right? Though he has responsibilities, he has very little control over the very things in producing a harvest. We have no control, right? He's not the one who's going to make it grow. And he can, in fact, work with the same plow, the same seed, and the same effort, but a different or better or worse crop can be produced every year, good or bad. He still does the same work, but the result is ultimately up to who? To God, to the Lord. So faith and farming. Let's read verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Highlight that. Be patient. James says, be patient like the farmer in your trial, which he has already said is part of your journey of maturing faith. Like the farmer, we are dependent upon God to bring the rains that soften the sun that warms, and any growth that takes a seed to a seedling to a plant. And we are to be patient to see that each kind of harvest God is going to bring this year. Each season is different. A reminder of that. Each season is different. When it is, when it is a season of extreme temperatures or a bug gets into your harvest, we don't react hastily or opposite to patience, but trust that the process is largely dependent on God. Some seasons we experience tremendous fruit. Other seasons we experience famine. But in all seasons of our faith, our patience is essential. In all seasons of life, God is in control. Amen? Amen. Is God always in control? Is God always sovereign? Yes. Yes. He is. So what does it mean to establish your hearts? The farmer is dependent on the seasons, but he still has some work to do, does he not? Previously, James warned his readers not to fatten their hearts, as you read last week. Here, James charges them to establish or to strengthen their heart. In other words, we do not succumb to the trial or the difficulty or to the oppression. We know that most growth comes through pain, does it not? Emotionally, intellectually, or even spiritually. But we remain firm, working the seed. James calls the word of God. This right here. 
praying, serving, using all that God has given us to use. We do not stand doing nothing, but like the farmer, we are constantly at work like the farmer looking toward the harvest. Establishing our hearts is part of to do the work and part to wait for the harvest. Part of establishing a heart is developing a trust in God. Do we trust God only when it's good? Or do we trust Him when we're hurting, when we're in pain, when we're suffering, when we're going through something that's not in our control to, to, to handle? Our test of faith often doesn't begin when you're plowing the field. It begins after you have plowed the field. And the harvest hasn't produced as fast as it had hoped for. And the temptation is to, one, hate farming. We're going to, I don't like farming. Hate it. Two, move to another field. Or three, quit farming altogether. Does that sound familiar? Quit marriage, family, find another calling, find another church. Sometimes that's what we do, right? Things are not growing fast enough. People are not changing quick enough. Situations are not improving soon enough. I'm done. James says, don't just sit and wait. Establish your hearts. Faith is active, volitional choice to govern your life by belief that God is working in your field right now. Amen? Amen. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The first mistake is that we don't work, we just wait. That's the first mistake. We don't work, we just wait. We should be motivated to work. To use the field and the tools that God has given us because we know the owner of the field is returning. Is he not? Will he find us working, squandering, or not using what he has given us? How will he find us? God has given us many things and I am not talking about stuff. Every Christian has been given salvation, has he not? The indwelling spirit, has he not? The scriptures, has he not? The gospel of Jesus, has he not? A church family, has he not? Spiritual gifts, has he not? What have we done since those came into your possession? What have you done? What am I doing? What are you doing with the things that God has given you like those things I just mentioned? He will judge and it will either be praise of the Father or recondemnation as a judge. If we wish to think like James as a simple Christian with biblical priorities, perhaps we need to be more expectant of the return of Christ. And in order not to feel ashamed before Him at His coming, let it be governing our thoughts. Do we think about that kind of every day or should we? Or do we not? Sometimes we don't, right? We often ask ourselves, if you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do differently? Or would you not do differently? What if Jesus were to return tomorrow? Would you work more for his kingdom? Would you store more treasures in heaven? You would, right? The second mistake is not that we don't wait, but we just work. We work, 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 work. We are not satisfied in the harvest. And because of most, of most of us don't think with an eternal perspective, we grumble. Our relationship with God impacts our relationship with others. We become too dependent on our work 
instead of working hard and patiently waiting for God to do the growth. Who does the growth? We do or God does? God does the growth. So we work hard and we pride, fully pat ourselves on the back when we succeed and or despairly beat ourselves when we don't. It reveals a faith, but not in the work of Jesus, rather in our hard work and in our progress. It's not just mustering up all this work and doing it in our own efforts. It's not. Impatience and community. Our disappointment or our pride in ourselves then gets vented. James chapter, says, James chapter 3, verse 18 says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, our hearts play themselves out in community, in our marriage, in our family, and in our church. When we become so focused on our own behaviors and our own outward fruits, we miss the harvest that is grown in our hearts. Then we vent and we grumble against our brothers in the church who in our estimation may have as much fruit, may they not have as much fruit as they should. We become impatient with their growth, wanting them to serve, lead, or just change. We become focused on what every other person is doing to the extent that we don't do anything ourselves. Have we met people like that? We're just seeing everybody else, but we never look at our own selves. Nearly every person that complains about what someone in our church does, I can respond with, what are you doing? The antidote to grumbling is being steward of what God has given you to the, to the glory of God. Amen? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to read verse 7 through 11. For there, say amen. Amen. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So how are we to serve? How do we serve? In our own efforts, in our own strength. We serve by the strength of God that supplies. We need His grace. Everything in life is grace. Even our salvation is by grace. Amen? Amen. So verse 10 and 11, patient prophets and Job. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So from there we get our sermon title. Be an example of suffering and patience, brothers. So what is, what is, what are we trying to learn from this? Examples of the prophets. Have you read the Old Testament and the prophets? 
How did they live their lives? Were they easy lives? They were not, right? They were hard, right? They were speaking before God. And there were, a lot of them, just really suffering. So as we work our field, trust God and live, commu- live in community. We endure the brokenness of ourselves and our relationships and the world, not because it is an easy, fair, or pleasant, but because we trust God. Do we trust God? That's our goal. And James uses the lies of the prophets, which encourages us by reminding us that God cares for us when we go through suffering for his sake. Often as an example to others around us. James says that we consider the prophets blessed. These guys who had a relationship with God that we admire. Do we not admire? We, who, who hasn't said, oh, that God would talk to me with directly or that God would write on the wall? Haven't we not wished that, that God would reveal himself like that to us? But what we fail to recognize is that a life of that kind of knowing God, a life where they did all the work God asked them to do, resulted in trials and sufferings, not only at the hands of unbelievers, but at the hands of professed believers. The guys that did it all right, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and Amos, all saw that the people of God ignore them and even attack them. Yet they bore that hostility with patience, doing what God asked them to do. Though it was difficult and though the harvest didn't come as they were, we might have hoped they worked and waited trusting God and produced though they did not see it. Amen? Amen. So let's be an example of the prophets. Let's be like that. Let's trust God in the midst of whatever He's called us to do for His kingdom. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, in our suffering, Lord, that we would be like the prophets, Lord, that we would be like Job, Lord, that we would be like Jesus, Lord, that we would be like Paul, Lord, who in the midst of suffering, Lord, trusted in you, Lord, looked to you, Lord, and had their faith in you, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that all of us who are suffering, Lord, that we would draw closer to you, Lord, and not further away from you, Lord. That we would seek you, that we would love you, Lord, that we would know that, you, that we're loved by you, Lord, and that your grace sustains us through it, Lord. So I pray, Lord, for each one of us in our church, Lord, and for those who are listening, Lord, who are going through suffering, Lord, I pray for them, Lord, that you would comfort them, that you would give them peace that surpasses all understanding, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.